0: Hello, listeners of This Is Our Design. This week, uh, we're doing somewhat of a special recording in which I will be sitting down and speaking with my mother, who is a viewer of Hannibal and a trained therapist. This segment will last ten minutes, uh, after which your regularly scheduled podcast will kick in, following the Hannibal theme. So if you're one of those people who fears change, feel free to fast-forward now, but I hope you'll find this segment both interesting and useful as Hannibal fans. So could you... Introduce yourself and your professional background and experience in therapy.
1: Yeah, my name is Deanna Guerrero, and I have had 25 years of teaching experience as an elementary school teacher. I went back and got my master's degree in psychology and am currently waiting to take an exam to become a licensed therapist.
0: And we were speaking earlier today about this, and just because I didn't really know about these differences, I think it might be useful for listeners to know what are some of the differences between what a therapist does and what a psychiatrist does.
1: Okay, um, in general terms, all mental health practitioners do deal in the treatment of mental health. And under that umbrella of mental health practitioners, there's many different types of practitioners. Some of them are social workers, psychologists, psychiatrists, marriage and family therapists, um, just to name a few, and they all deal in the treatment of mental health. Now if you want to start with what Hannibal is, Hannibal, I believe, is a psychiatrist, and a psychiatrist has medical background. He's a medical doctor who specializes in psychological disorders, um, usually focusing on mental illness and abnormal behavior. A psychologist, however, is just has a doctoral degree in psychology and does not disperse medication, whereas a psychiatrist is able to. They're licensed to do that. Uh, Sigmund Freud and Jean Piaget were psychologists. And then there's me, a marriage and family therapist um, with a master's degree in psychology. And in order for me to become licensed, like I said earlier, I have to take two state exams. And then I'm um, licensed to practice psychotherapy. All
0: right, so how how does that apply here to Hannibal? So viewers, you might have seen different uh, versions of therapy. You know, Mm -hmm. I think quite a few people might have seen the HBO series In Treatment with Gabriel Byrne. Yeah. Um, What is it that Hannibal does for Will?
1: Okay, first and foremost, I have to, to, at this point, say that there are different types of therapy. There are different schools of thought. Now, because a psychiatrist like Hannibal has a medical background, he's looking at it from two different viewpoints. He's looking at it from a mental perspective, but I think he's also looking at it from an organic perspective, because he does have the medical background. Uh, Gabriel Byrne, who plays the role of Paul, and I'm not sure his last name, in in treatment, I believe is a, a psychologist. So a psychologist, he just has his doctoral degree and he looks at it, I think, just through the eyes of the mental illness itself, maybe changing the behaviors. Whereas Hannibal, I think, looks more at the whole patient.
0: Perfect. So I thought probably more so in this episode than any of the episodes of Hannibal that we've seen so far, uh, Hannibal goes into some of his personal, not stances, but some of his attitudes towards his therapy and how he conducts the sessions i think are made mm-hmm. more clear in this episode uh, so i just kind of wanted to get your responses to a couple of the things that he says to various characters uh when he's speaking to, to jack in the beginning of the episode when they're uh, talking about how will's back in therapy he says that therapy only works if we have a genuine desire to know ourselves as we really are not as we would like to be
1: I found this to be very, very fascinating because I think this is the basis of psychotherapy no matter what type of mental health practitioner you are. There's a quote that Plato said, um, quote him as I remember, for a man to conquer himself is the first and foremost noblest of all victories. And I believe what he meant by that is you really have to understand who you are as a person before trying to become what you expect to be. And I don't think anyone whether it's a a psychiatrist or a psychologist, can help you do that without you first looking at yourself.
0: Yeah, I think Will's probably a special case in this instance, and that's why I think Hannibal wants to help him, whereas, like last season, we got the the episodes with Franklin, and that was somebody, I think, who uh, had less of a desire to to know what he really was, and rather um, wanted to portray some kind of facade, and Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of thing that Hannibal detests, and that's why he, he began to, to lose interest in him altogether.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What about what we get with Margot in this episode? Do you think that she's a character who, like Will, is willing to relinquish that facade and kind of get at the actual person at the center there? I know we've only had a couple episodes of her so far, so it's difficult to say, but there's clearly some interest that Hannibal has in her as in terms of the, the psychiatrist-patient relationship.
1: It's my opinion that Hannibal sees all of his patients as playthings. He he is the puppeteer. 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 I'm sorry, thank you. He's the puppeteer, and I think with his background, he's able to manipulate them into believing what he wants them to believe about themselves. I believe the ego can be very strong, and Will's definitely has proven to be a very strong ego that cannot be as easily manipulated as Margot. I think Margot is a little bit more vulnerable at this point.
0: Uh, Touching off of that, that one of the other quotes that he says to Margot when they're talking about her brother and this idea of dehumanization, which applies to the episode as a whole, uh, he says that psychiatrists who dehumanize patients are more comfortable with painful but effective treatments. And of all the quotes that we got in this episode, I think that this one would be the one that I would question the veracity of. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this to me might just seem like, uh, you know, flat psychiatry as being displayed on a television show, so in a fictional world. Is that the case?
1: I believe so, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think it's made for a fact and nothing more. I believe that Hannibal um, is a mental voyeur. He loves to watch his work and he stands in the shadows, so to speak, to see what he has done and how he's manipulated his clients. And therefore, I believe a patient's threshold of pain is as much as they want to be to be better. I mean, they'll only go as far as the threshold of pain will take them. And I believe that what he's doing is pushing them as far as they can go, whether or not they're ready to, to face that fear.
0: So we'd never see Paul from in-treatment do this no, type of thing? No, no, He would never push his <laughs> he would never patients push to the him. limits? No, okay. absolutely not. The, the last quote I wanted to bring up was... Uh, A therapist's life is equal parts counsel and curiosity. We set a patient on a path and are left to wonder where that path will take them. We also got this at the end of last week's episode when Hannibal is talking to Will uh, and says that he's turned into this thing that's beyond his control. Now he's unpredictable and Hannibal seems kind of fascinated with that idea given that he had kind of guided his development for so long.
1: Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Um, But what was your response to this idea of, of counsel and curiosity?
1: Again, like I said, I think he's a mental voyeur. I don't think he really truly wants to stand back and look at it. I think he wants to become part of it. He just doesn't let his patients go. No. He he has to be in control at all all aspects of this path that he places his patients in.
0: And that does that make him less of a good uh, psychiatrist in that sense?
1: Well, Hannibal is a fictional character.
0: <laughs> of course, yeah.
1: <laughs> he's a monster. Yeah. And... It's it's good television.
0: Right. It is good television, at the very least. I'm um, glad well, we can agree on that. Um, was there anything else that you've seen in Hannibal so far, not necessarily just in this episode, but either of the two seasons that you think um, has really stood out, either as true to life or kind of not depicting therapy and psychiatry in an accurate light? Anything that you can recall?
1: I think there are moments of realism in what Hannibal does, but obviously... I don't think, you know, you can compare him to somebody like Charles Manson who um, mentally manipulated all the people that he he came in contact with. He was again the one behind it, standing in the shadows. So there may be people like Hannibal, but of course this might be a compilation of many people that really um, existed and they've sensationalized him. So. There are moments of real psychotherapy going on, but no, I think it's a lot of sensationalism, and I think it's maybe taking us into a dark, deep place that most psychiatrists or psychologists would would not dare go.
0: Does that ever disrupt your enjoyment of it at all? Is it ever an obstacle, or is it just kind of limited to a thing that you can point out and be somewhat annoyed by, but you can understand, given that TV writers and, and researchers don't necessarily... Always go hundred percent accurate they're, they're looking to portray the the most entertaining aspect
1: um, I think the latter I think that uh, that I can bypass that no there's it's a lot of fiction and a lot of sensationalism, and it's pure for pure enjoyment
0: just like we can bypass how some of these uh, corpses are displayed in absolutely ridiculous <laughs> ways
1: exactly that
0: could not possibly happen but uh, but I think we'll give it the benefit of the doubt okay. And we'll conclude that segment here. So, thank you for sitting down and talking with me.
1: Oh, you're very welcome. It was a pleasure.
0: Welcome back to This Is Our Design, Sound On Site's Hannibal podcast dedicated to Brian Fuller's series based on the characters created by Thomas Harris. I am Sean Coletti, contributing writer to Sound On Site, and I am joined, of course, by Kate Kolzick, TV editor at Sound On Site. Hello, Kate. Are you beginning to notice parallels between Hannibal and Fargo in their snowscapes?
3: I, you know, I had made that connection because I watched Fargo a while ago, because uh, I, I had screeners for that one. But now that you mention it, that's interesting. And they both have, uh, yeah, there's some some similar darkness, though. I think it's cute, like the the Fargo level of darkness. You're like, oh, it's it's grim, and then you watch Hannibal, and and that's just kind of adorable, that level of darkness. But yeah, I'll have to start thinking about that.
0: I think I'd be more interested in seeing Mass Mikkelsen show up in Fargo and what that would mean, rather than Billy Bob showing up in Hannibal. But uh, both prospects are really entertaining. (laughs) This week, we're going to be talking about Season 2, Episode 9, She, Zakana, And joining us for the podcast is our special guest, Eric Goldman, Executive Editor of IGN-TV. Hello, Eric. Thank you for coming on and welcome to the podcast.
4: No problem. Thanks so much for having me.
0: So this week, I want to talk about uh, one of the major themes to begin with. And throughout the series so far, I think we've had a lot of interesting recurring imagery regarding... Uh, religious symbols, so we've often been asked to consider Hannibal a, a devil-like figure. But in She Zakana, we're more asked to, I guess, interrogate the idea of these characters being animalistic in their instincts. So I was wondering, Eric, if you could talk a little bit about the animalism that you see in this episode, and I guess why it might be interesting to consider these two central characters as animal figures who possess those kind of natural instincts towards violence.
4: Well, yeah, it was interesting uh, because the killer this episode, uh, Randall, he obviously went very direct with it as far as the animal thing goes. he literally wanted to be an animal. Um, I don't know about you guys, but when that first sort of kill scene happened with, uh, I believe it was the trucker, it almost looked like the show was delving into the supernatural for a second. It was such a, you know, different kind of kill for the show. Uh, that wasn't the case, which I think I'm thankful for. But yeah, it definitely was, you know. Uh, we're, we're getting so much on the show about Hannibal pushing Will, prodding Will, wanting to forge him into a certain type of being. And this episode did talk about sort of the a primal instinct, the idea that Randall, having become this killer, just saw these people as meat and was just, you know, able to sort of, um, I guess, dehumanize them or dehumanize himself and then not care about what they were. Um, I think there are some interesting parallels there, although I also think it diverges in that, you know, Hannibal, I believe it's true what he says. You know, he said other things about really uh, respecting life, which is an interesting idea for a guy who's a murderer. But I think it's true. Uh, and yet he obviously has no qualms about killing people. So I think I don't know if it's if it's directly Will and Hannibal becoming animals, but it certainly is the idea of transformation. And we can talk more about later about how this episode might have uh mirrored some stuff in Sons of the Lambs, but the idea of kind of getting in touch with your, what, what you really have inside. And for Randall, I think that was directly an animal. Uh, Hannibal thinks that Will also has a killer inside him that he's trying to unlock. And that's where I thought it was interesting to sort of use Randall as a tool in that, in that respect.
0: Kate, last week we were talking about how maybe on the nose, the parallels between Peter's story and Will's story Were and I'm wondering if you see this parallel being as strong comparing these characters to animals and and seeing uh, Hannibal talk to Will and pushing him in that direction. You know, he says you must allow yourself to be intimate with your instincts, Will. Um, Or did this parallel in that regard work better for you this time around?
3: I definitely was thinking of that while while I watched. I was thinking of of the again this. Like we, like I've said several times on this podcast, Hannibal is not a particularly subtle show. A lot of the time, it goes for big emotions, it goes for big visuals, all of that. But it actually was bothering me more this week. The, the, I was hoping for more of a season one subtler approach. Um, or I'm starting to get ready for a, a shift to back to something like that. Whether or not the show will give it to us remains to be seen, but I do think. While having these two episodes right in a row with such clear, I guess we, you could say or such bold, uh, straightforward connections between the case of the week and the the relationship between Will and Hannibal, it, while maybe that having the one right up to the other is, is making it a bit too much for me, I actually think this is more nuanced than what we got last week because uh, you know, having Peter there as the counterpoint to Hannibal and Randall I think is really important with Peter talking about animals, you know, his his kindness and his his affinity for, for animals and the beauty he sees in nature um, and in animals. The, animals don't kill just to kill the way that it seems like Hannibal and, and Randall do. And so to, to have those two takes on what being a man versus being an animal is, I think is actually more nuanced and interesting maybe than the the parallels last week, which were a bit more on the nose, even if I enjoyed them more. Is that confusing enough yet?
0: <laughs> yes, that's perfect. No, and I agree that uh, this one was probably a little bit more nuanced, but I would say in a weird way, it was more overt in the connections it was making than last week, which is unusual. But that didn't necessarily bother me because I think the fact that this, I believe to me, is the, the first Hannibal episode that really goes into the animal comparisons, whereas we're more often uh, looking at Hannibal and Will through a different lens. I thought that that really worked in its favor. But Eric, you mentioned dehumanization, and obviously that ties in with the animal theme. But uh, but also in, in uh, Hannibal's session with Margot, he talks about dehumanization, or rather the two talk, each other about that Uh, Margot dehumanizes Mason and by that Hannibal is seeing Margot dehumanized and then he says that psychiatrists who dehumanize patients are more comfortable with uh, painful but effective treatments so what did you make of this idea of dehumanization and is this something that we've always thought that Hannibal does with his patients or is he starting to do this more as his technique
4: You know, it's interesting because, of course, it's always hard to know, uh, you know, he's such a manipulator. And so it's always hard to know exactly how much you can trust him or not. Because one thing this episode made explicit is the idea that he is honing or forging more than one killer from his patients. So I wonder if that's always his approach or maybe it's with Margot. He feels that's the right approach. You know, Uh, he wants to uh, get her to cross a line she has not crossed. And so I think that uh I do think that he is obviously he's so uh driven by curiosity uh, by the fact that he likes to sort of poke and prod and see what he can get accomplished. So he definitely feels superior to everyone, but I don't know if he really dehumanizes everyone. Uh, I kind of feel like he doesn't, although he he certainly has a superiority complex. So I think with I think it might be more margot specific as far as the idea of dehumanizing. Uh, And the fact that he wants her to be able to go to a place that she almost went, but hasn't gone all the way. Um, But I think Hannibal, you know, is he can be many things to many people. And maybe he wouldn't take that exact approach with someone, a different patient that he also wanted to become a killer. Because now we're getting, the, you know, Will explicitly asked that question about how many times have you done this? Uh, So I wonder if he would try something totally different if the person involved needed something different.
0: Kay Eric just mentioned curiosity, and, and thinking about his sessions with Margot, maybe versus his sessions with Franklin from last year, and what we get, uh, and also given that he says in this episode of Therapist's Life is equal parts counsel and curiosity, do you think that Margot is a special case, or are we seeing the, uh, I guess, the go-to approach for Hannibal in terms of how he conducts his sessions?
3: That's in, the 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 word I key into there is special, and that's one of the 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 quibbles I guess I had, or the disappointments I had with this episode, uh, which is just it's not any fault of the episode. This is a me thing, not a Hannibal thing, but it shows the the character and his relationship with several of the characters diverging from, I guess, where I hoped the show was going, it makes Will and Margot much more, uh, much less individual. And, and I'm wondering if I'm the only one who is getting a, a ninth Doctor and uh, Rose or 10th Doctor and Rose situation there. I thought I was special. I thought I was, you know, Doctor Who anyone. But um, <laughs> the this notion that he's been kind of crafting killers much in the style of everybody's favorite show the following and joe carroll uh that that i was disappointed to see that he seems to be doing the same thing with will that he did with uh, randall and that he looks like he's trying to do with Margot, because um, it makes will as our central figure less individual it makes hannibal's interest in will Less individual and um, it, you know, makes you feel like you could just be another in a series and that I feel maybe the balance of how much is Hannibal's design and Hannibal's schemes and how much is Will, you know, how, how successful is Hannibal with his plans for Will and how successful is Will with his plans for Hannibal. This felt very Hannibal centric this week. And we didn't get any, any perspective on Will. Whether or not that's there and we just aren't seeing it, or whether he is so fully under Hannibal's sway remains to be seen. I would guess it's the former. But but no, I mean having Margot react differently than I would guess Hannibal's other patients by go by seeking out Will, by seeking, you know, an exterior perspective on Hannibal is interesting and that does make her more interesting. Her her relationship with Hannibal is separate because she is reacting in a different way. But no, having finding out that there's this long history, even if it has been hinted at before with uh, Dr. Maurier in season one, uh, that, that Hannibal has this long history of trying to manipulate his, his patients into becoming killers. Um, I I, w- I was a little disappointed.
0: Well, now that you've mentioned it, we should probably stop talking about Hannibal and just dedicate this podcast to the following, right?
3: Um, <laughs> they're, they're so clearly on, uh, on the same playing field. I mean, I, everybody agrees with that, right? They're both yep.
4: about killers, so obviously.
3: So obviously, all you know, they are the same, the same show with the same things to say about about violence.
0: Except the following is much more thematically rich, so it has that going for well, it. Well, I right?
3: mean, I mean, Poe—it's so much more literate, guys. I, I, right. I, I feel bad. I feel, somebody's listening and not realizing how completely sarcastic we're being. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Brian Hardy has actually killed more people than the Chesapeake Ripper in this season. I'll throw that out there. But yeah, no, this this idea of Hannibal breeding serial killers, we've got some interesting touches to his character, and obviously we have some foreknowledge coming into Hannibal, the TV series, about who he is. But to me, this is actually the most disturbing thing Hannibal related to think about, is that not only are we seeing him actively do this, but the prospect of how many people has he done this to before, and how many people are out there who have been manipulated by Hannibal and pushed in a way to kind of be the worst versions of themselves rather than the best ones. Um, that that was actually really terrifying to think about. And I think that this episode has a lot of interesting horror elements, and, and Randall's a part of that. We never quite get to see a full and extended shot of his suit in this episode. And that final uh, suspense sequence, I think, had a lot of interesting... Horror film tropes incorporated, and in Eric, did you want to talk a little bit about that? And because I think Hannibal kind of verges between being a much more straightforward drama some weeks, and in others, it seems to really embrace the the horror genre from which the the books come from.
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, having talked to Brian Fuller, and also just you know, seen how he's talked in other interviews, I mean, the guy is a huge horror fan. Uh, we we had a great conversation about our. Uh, the fact that we both own the Friday the Thirteenth novelizations, uh, and uh, this is a guy who certainly never wants to forget, you know, the the you know fun, for lack of a word, of kind of going all in on a on a horror story and having those sort of famous moments. And I do think this episode uh, allowed them to do that a little more, just as far as there was a killer stalking people in the woods, you know, and it wasn't Jason but I guess it was kind of the closest the show has ever gotten. You know, you had two people out by a campfire, a couple, and then the scary killer, you know, dives at them. You got that great shot uh, of her eye, seeing the killer, you know, striking forward at her. So I do think this episode was uh, leaning a little bit more towards some of those tropes, uh, just basically because of the killer's M.O., because all the, the killers on this show are so artistic and so much of it is about display. And this guy was purposely not, even though, of course, it still allowed them to have some pretty uh, big visuals. It wasn't supposed to be like, oh, look at what he set up afterwards. It's, oh, my gosh, look how he ripped them apart. Uh, and so, yeah, I do think that there was a lot more of those those kind of uh, s- somewhat slasher movie, although it was obviously tweaked because of his whole... Uh, the approach of the killer, but it did it did have more of that. And I think you know, I think that's fun. I think the show should never be that all the time, and it's not what the show is about at its core, certainly. But this is a show uh, that is sort of the most straight horror show on network TV, and it would be odd to me if they never sort of touched upon that uh, in the middle of their more beautiful, gory sequences uh, to have some stuff that's a little bit more sort of uh, brutal and in your face once in a while. And I, and I'm a big. You know, like Fuller, obviously. If I own the Friday 13th novels, you know uh, what my horror (laughs) fandom was growing up. So uh, I I do do enjoy that. Although I didn't think Randall was as nuanced uh, or interesting, I should say, when we actually spoke to him, even though he had some some interesting elements to him. I don't think he has a character he really popped. But I think it's okay that, you know, on a show that basically offers us nearly a different killer every week to have one that's a little bit more uh, sort of brutal and straightforward in their approach.
3: I wanted to jump in with that because... Does anybody else have an issue with this uh, history of Hannibal creating serial killers? We've already, you know, I don't, obviously, Eric, you haven't complained about this on the podcast, but we have somewhat this, uh, how many serial killers are there in a, you know, 10-mile radius? And then if Hannibal can be so clearly tied to several of them, how is he, I mean, that's just sloppy. I, I don't know. I was having trouble with that element of it.
0: I think that there's still some believability issues regarding the proximity. So yeah, it, it because Will and Jack aren't traveling around a bit more for these murders, uh, th- there are some issues there. But at the same time, I think that I'm willing to give the series the benefit of the doubt because of how much attention is brought to the fact that now Hannibal's patients or subjects or whatever you want to call them kind of go in their own direction afterwards. We got last at the end of last week, Hannibal talking to Will, uh in terms of being a caterpillar evolving into a butterfly and being kind of unpredictable. And in this way uh or in this episode rather, Randall is described in that way. And potentially other uh people who have been associated with Hannibal might distance themselves because of the careful planning that he does. Um but but what did you, you think about that, Eric? Was that believable to you?
4: You know I, I... I always have felt the show is, is operating at a uh, sort of operatic bigger than life level. Um, Certainly even just with what the killers, Hannibal himself included accomplish, which so often are like, wow, one person did that, you know, even in season one, like the human totem pole and things like that. Incredible to see if you really think about it, the, the thought of one person pulling off just the, the physical labor and, uh, The uh, just, hey, can you help me hoist this human body up on top of those 10 other bodies? Uh, It calls some things into question. But I've I've actually really, uh, you know, come to expect that and uh, accept that, I should say. Sorry. Um, I do think it works with the way the show feels, the tone of the show, the fact that it does all feel heightened and yet has such a fascinating, you know, tone to it and feel that really pulls you in. So, yeah, the idea that Hannibal has been cultivating serial killers uh, amongst his patients is another one that is certainly not, I guess, realistic in some sense, uh, but I think really works with the show. And in in a way, I think it actually helps the show because, yes, there is going to be always the, uh, you know, suspend your disbelief over the fact that so many killers in such a close proximity who are also so amazing at what they do. Uh, I can't remember who it was on Twitter a few weeks ago who said that in real life, every single one of the killers on Hannibal would be like all the news would talk about for like years, you know, uh, which is pretty true. But I think on a show that is just delving in deep and saying that's our reality, it makes sense to almost help explain that some of them came from Hannibal Lecter and were fueled by him. Uh, So yeah, it's not totally realistic, but I also don't think it breaks the artifice of the show because I think that's kind of where the show's always existed.
0: Kate, did we answer your question on that one?
3: Yeah, yeah. For the most part, I just you know, I guess I it bothers me more. And just like Hannibal's magic suit. After a while, I want there to be trace evidence. <laughs> after right. if if uh, Miriam Miriam found Hannibal because she happened to remember that he was consulting and was around, but that he had a surgical history, not because you know they could trace a handful of his patients who to who had become killers all back to him. So, you know, especially if he's helping find these guys. And I guess in this week, we don't see the Jack or anybody else find out about Randall. So, you know, find out that he is, in fact, definitely guilty. So, you know, maybe that that's just what it's been. All of Hannibal's previous patients who are now serial killers, none of them have been caught. And that's why nobody's traced it back to Hannibal. It just seems it seems sloppy from a character who, in the past, has has seemed like the, the mastermind, or I guess I should say it makes everybody else look stupid. And that, you know, I'll, I have to just give them the benefit of the doubt because they've, they've certainly earned it and see where this goes next.
4: Yeah, I think the Miriam thing is interesting that you bring up because I do agree that it does make her seem almost like a, a super genius in the realm of the show if she could kind of put those links together so quickly. I It's it's one of those things I'm... You kind of have to... Fudge a little bit. I mean, directly, of course. The reason Miriam discovers it the way she does is because they're giving her uh, Will's discovery from Red Dragon, the book, you know, and they wanted to kind of put that in there in a different way. Uh, but I do agree. When you look back on it, it's kind of funny that you know no one else could make the the leaps that she's making very after meeting him so quickly.
0: I think this is one show that we probably give a bit more leeway to compared to a lot of other ones that haven't earned as much goodwill but I'm beginning to also wonder if we should be doing that because there are, I think, some issues with this. But Eric mentioned uh, how Randall might be less of an interesting or nuanced character than some of the other murderers that we've seen on the series. And while I would probably agree with that, I would also think about if I guess that's necessary for me anymore. If I just want characterization because there are characters in who who characters in here who don't feel as three-dimensional as others or if it's okay for somebody like this to be used as a device uh was that ever an issue for you kate with this episode and was it satisfying enough even if randall wasn't as developed just to get the the even steven ending here
3: well randall's certainly not one of the more memorable i mean his method of killing is memorable but the character himself i'm in three or four weeks it's certainly by the end of the season i'm not going to be saying randall i'm going to be saying that guy with the animal suit uh and i do think that ties in thematically as fitting with this notion of him not being wanting to be an individual not wanting to be a person but wanting to be an animal wanting to just survive and go through his life with the base instincts and not without that higher functional level i mean that fits with that Uh, However, on you know looking at this as a TV show, I always want if you if I'm meeting a character and I'm spending this much time with them, I want them to be distinct. I want them to to have a personality and to be memorable in some way. And uh from the construction of the the character to, down to just the the scenes, I didn't get any sense of personality or individualism from this character and that that's disappointing. I it fits thematically, but it would be nice if uh if, if this character were anywhere near as memorable as say uh Peter Weller from season 1. We get one scene with him, but I will always remember that character. And so many of the other killers on the show, you know, even just this season, uh the <laughs> lovely bee lady, we're going to remember her at the end of the season. I would be surprised if we were remember remembering Hannah uh if we were remembering Randall.
4: I think oh. you meant Lance Henriksen in season 1.
3: Did I mean Lance Henri- <laughs> yes. I said Peter Weller. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's right. I did I did mean I did mean Lance Henriksen.
0: He only had like one scene, didn't he?
3: Yeah, Yeah. in the armchair.
0: (laughs) Which was fantastic. You know what? I'm going to remember Randall for not killing Buster the dog, okay? Oh, man. That was a good decision. But
4: but we don't know. I mean, I'm just hoping that they got Buster, you know, the help he needed. I guess we'll find out next week.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Uh, But, Kate, you were talking about uh, spending time with characters and wanting to to get into them. And, Eric, I wanted to ask you about the scenes that we get with Margo in this episode because – She, over the course of two episodes, is being built up as a key figure, and obviously she's somebody who factors into the novels, in in Hannibal the novel, and is being used much earlier in the timeline here. We get her comparing notes with Will about the the sessions that Hannibal runs. Uh, She appears to be a very strong character, and she also mentions when Will asks about the, the Mason company, uh not having the the right parts to run it and also not having the right proclivity for parts and i don't know how we're meant to interpret that but given who Margot is in the books um this might be the the first lgbt character in a while am i am i correct in that did, did you get that from that line of dialogue
4: yeah, I, I definitely did. Uh, yeah, I, I think I, I was—you know—that's that's the only interpretation I had uh, for that, as far as her saying that. So, uh, I think that would definitely be uh, her her background on the show. And uh, yeah, I, I, I do like a lot that they're able to do this. You know, they have this interesting sort of quandary where they can use characters from all the books except for Signs of the Lambs. So, I think it's a it's a great idea to bring in a character like Margot that you know is we can sort of set up much earlier. And get to know and i do think she's having a very interesting dynamic we spoke about her dynamic with hannibal but i also really like that her relationship with will that is forging uh the fact that they are comparing notes and uh, i especially think it's good because he kind of needs someone like this right now uh in the show it's very unclear what him and jack are kind of discussing there's there's some there's some scenes that imply maybe you know what's going on as far as them both keeping an eye on Hannibal, like the fishing scene the week before. But we don't know for sure if if Jack really has just settled back into it's not Hannibal, and if or if he has his suspicions, but he's not talking to uh, Will about it. And Beverly's dead, and Bedelia left, and uh, Alana's never believed it. So I think Margot is a it's a good point in the show to bring in someone like Margot for Will to have as a confidant and to say, hey, uh, something's very off about Hannibal Lecter, even if he's not getting to the point where he's, you know, just telling her everything. Uh, they certainly are, you know, there's a lot laid out, uh, a lot of cards laid out there. I mean, she's basically saying he's trying to get me to be a killer and uh, vice versa. So I think that's, I'm very intrigued to see this, this friendship forged between the two of them. And I'm so far, you know, liking the character quite a bit.
0: What about you, Kate? We got just a little bit of Margo last week and as somebody who uh, is not as familiar with the source material do you think that they're making her tv character more interesting this time around
3: i, I liked her last week i like her this week and i think he did see and katherine osbel have excellent chemistry as well which which certainly yeah. does not hurt uh but no like exactly what you said eric will-, will needs characters that he can talk to and uh if they're not willing to commit to what jack thinks or believes right now which it's not, you know they're not they want us guessing which you know it's very effective uh, then they it needs to be somebody else and it, like you said it can't be, can't be Alana that's a big issue I and mean, we talked about this last week with uh where Alana's at right now she doesn't have anybody who's unbiased or who's not one of the two romantic foils for her that she can talk to that we can to give us insight into her and where she's at emotionally and intellectually with with everything that's going on and uh so bringing in another character for will to fill that role is important and uh works very well i also you know he gives you another element of uh another, another layer i guess i should say of, of questioning here because you don't know you, you can't trust that she won't say you know what she'll say to Hannibal or you know that she wants to say oh I went and talked to Will like you said I should and you know he doesn't know her he doesn't know her her instincts and uh her her motives and just like this week I was a little a little disappointed in Will that he outed Bedelia to Hannibal
2: mm-hmm.
3: we don't know you know that in that entire scene everything that they say is is tinged with that neither one of them knows the other well enough to trust that they won't Open up to say repeat everything they say to hannibal and uh, and so so it's just it's a, it's a dance and and it's nice to give will another partner to dance with
0: Perfect. I want to move on to uh, another topic that is brought up in this episode. One of my favorite discussions that we've had on the podcast so far, I believe it was a couple weeks ago. Uh, Kate talked about ideas of love and how sometimes the American conception of that is limited to the, the more traditional romantic take on love whereas there's many different types of love that that we can look at in a television series and in this episode Hannibal addresses that issue and he says no one can fully be aware of another human being unless we love them by that love we see potential in our beloved through that love we allow our beloved to see their potential and expressing that love our beloved's potential comes true and Eric I wanted to to ask you about this first and, and just get your take on what Hannibal is saying with this, because I think that based on his definition here and the prerequisites, that it kind of clearly defines his relationship with Alana not being a loving one in his perspective, but rather his relationship with Will being a much more loving one. Um, Would you agree with that? And do you think that that love is an interesting concept here?
4: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that was about Will, uh, what he was saying, uh, because I believe that Hannibal loves Will. Uh, and, you know, he really sees this guy as sort of his, his confidant has, you know, his, you know, however you want to define it as the brother he never had has, you know, this sort of partner that, you know, his equal or, you know, someone who could be as equal at least I should say. And, and he does love him. He's so fascinated by him, uh, and so wants to kind of make him into what he thinks he could be. It is about, you know, like you said, the, the, the bit about the, the potential and achieving potential, and that's what makes the dynamics so fascinating between them, because Hannibal, not only, you know, he's done such horrible things, but he's also, you know, he's he's ruined Will's life. life you know, he, he'd sent, he had Will locked up based on framing him. And yet, in his sort of twisted psychosis, uh, he still cares for this person deeply and still believes that he can kind of turn him into what he wants him to be. Uh, and I think that is, you know, one of the best things about the show, is it's not just... Uh, Hannibal being, I will destroy you. uh, It's so much more complicated than that, and uh, it's complicated for Will too because while Will, I I think, is much more of the out. You know, Will is coming at it much more from the fact that Hannibal is someone who must be stopped. I, at the same time, I think he res, he's respecting him and the fact that he's now back with him as a patient and pl- they're playing such twisted mind games with each other because it's all out on the – you know, Bill is not holding back that he knows what Hannibal is. Hannibal is holding back a bit because he'll never quite say, yeah, you're right. Uh, but yeah, it it, it I did I, – I, I was – again, it wasn't being very subtle, but I actually did kind of like it being articulated in that way because really the show is – somewhat i'd say a, a story about the the twisted love whatever you want to call it the 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 connection between Hannibal and Will is is basically the the lifeblood of this series
3: for me though when we have hannibal so clearly and straightforwardly crafting will as he is this week as he uh seems to have designed or, or be intending to do have that having been his goal all along it takes away any semblance of equality in that relationship. And obviously that's a big part of what the show is about, but it, it turns Will into Hannibal's pet. And especially when you see this long line of patients that he has molded in the past. So as we meet with Randall this week, I guess maybe this is where I have an issue with it. it it's if Hannibal is able to so expertly manipulate Will and in you know, this week, it seems like he's very successful in this, uh, he he, will should no longer be an equal should no no longer be a a curiosity because it should just be exactly what you know again it's more of the 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 creator the father and the son and less the equal partnership that i think hannibal has been looking for so how i mean his his interaction with randall he obviously has a very different relationship with randall than he does with will but if if he is crafting will in the same way he did randall how does he not lose his respect for will how does he not lose his interest in will as you said
4: his relationship was very different with randall and i do think you know it's hard to sort of uh put aside hannibal you know very much believing he's the smartest person in the in the room and maybe there is a fact that he would always think you know maybe he's you know i don't know if he could ever see will as a hundred percent equal but I think that you can still kind of extrapolate that, yes, even if there's others like Randall out there that he was pushing and prodding, he has responded to Will differently. And I do think at the end, you know, if, the, if things had worked out differently, say, and Randall had succeeded in being in killing Will, he would have been very sad about that in a way that he was completely dispassionate about Randall being killed. So I, I agree. It, it doesn't make them really equal um, it ever truly because it is about Hannibal's manipulation. But I think that works with who Hannibal is ultimately. Uh, and the fact that it's, there are definitely some, uh, some conflicting things going on there for this character all the time. So there are, you know, this is a guy who uh, it just, just by the decisions he makes as far as killing people as, has you know, cut off a part of himself as far as not seeing what is right and wrong. So it, it, it's it wouldn't they would never truly be equals even if everything if if next week will was like you know what you've completely changed me and now i'm going to kill people alongside you uh you're right It, it would be hannibal having molded him into that but i think for hannibal the character he'd be okay with that uh because he still thinks that there's something within will that was always there that intrigues him maybe in a way more than anyone else uh that whatever it was about will there was sort of an extra spark to him uh that that you know he's responding to above any of these other Randalls or potential Randalls that we haven't met.
0: I would agree with that probably, and say that the difference here is Hannibal is still testing Will, I suppose, and while he makes steps towards completely controlling him, and how that would become uninteresting, I think that he's expecting Will to. To counter that in many ways and to resist it and to not be totally controlled despite the fact that he's clearly having some issues here which i wanted to address uh, uh, and ask either one of you what we how we react i guess to will becoming or succumbing rather to his instincts in this episode so we get the scene where he is in the session with hannibal and he recreates the the shooting of last week, or rather the shooting that didn't take place, but he, he recreates it in his mind so that he did shoot the social worker, and he talks about regret for having not been able to do that, and we see him murder another person in this episode. Uh, of course, this is somebody who's after him, so it's not only in self-defense, but it's also a character who is very easy to dehumanize, so it doesn't necessarily have the same effect that the, the Garrett Jacob Hobbs kill might have had on on Will, but he's definitely in an interesting state right now and i wonder if that uh, affects the sympathy that we have for him as a protagonist uh, or just our ability to relate to him and if this is an interesting or or useful or effective direction for will to be going in if and if either of you want to weigh in on that
3: the only thing i'll say is that and we'll we'll see it next week it's very possible that it's exactly what it looks like but we haven't seen what happened yet so technically that's I'm holding off on having too many thoughts of, about what this means for Will now. Yeah, already, he already wanted to be a killer last week. Now it appears that he is a killer, even if it, it this was in self-defense making it different than last week, which would have been dispassion and, and uh, in cold blood. Uh, but we, we haven't seen it. For all we know, he called up Jack after st- stopping the guy from killing him and said, Hey, he's already dead. He was trying to kill me. What should we do? Let's use it as a trap for him. We don't know. That's probably not the case, but, you know, we haven't just like with children. We haven't seen the body. So we think he's dead, but we also thought that Eddie Isaac was dead. So uh, that's my only caveat there. Eric, what do you think? Yeah, I think um,
4: certainly I'm totally fascinated by this dynamic of the show in general and this season specifically as far as, you know, the, the the darkening of Will and the fact that Hannibal is so directly trying to forge Will into a killer. Um, you know, at the same time, I wouldn't want to see Will go all the way. I don't think we want to, you know, I would ever want to see Will, nor do I know how the show would come back from Will, you know, killing an innocent person. Uh, yeah, right now what has happened, if it's truly what we saw, you know, as far as what we saw, yeah, it's 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 self-defense. Um. It definitely is self-defense and a hold up in any way under that, uh, maybe they're going to try to go even further with it to have Hannibal, you know, try to turn Will, maybe the next step into more of a proactive sort of vigilante killer, you know, get him to go after someone who's not in the midst of committing a crime, but is a criminal, uh, at the same time, yeah, if, if Will was ever to just, you know, kill a completely innocent person, I don't think I, I don't know where the show goes from there. But I mean, maybe it goes somewhere fascinating, but it would be a difficult one as far as audience sympathy is concerned. Uh, but for the time being, I'm definitely going along with this journey because it is one of the most you know, interesting things of the show is seeing this push and pull between these two men and how it's it's ne- it's never so cut and dry as Will Graham is going to stop this, you know, bastard killer who and they hate each other um it's there's so many more layers to it than that so uh yeah i i do wonder how many more steps we're gonna see will go on uh but for the time being i'm very much sort of on board watching watching that
0: happen hey kevin bacon's running around the following killing innocent people and that's working for that show okay <laughs> yes <Yeah, it's
4: laughs> they, they they have got the season three renewal already so hey what do we know
3: america has spoken
0: how sad is that how sad is that good boy <laughs> okay we're gonna move on to uh, the two recurring segments of the podcast. The first of which is Kate's classical corner. So Kate, what can you tell us about the scoring in *Shizakana*? And before you go, I just want to mention that Eric had brought up that uh, the scene where in the snow, where the where Randall in his mat or in his suit is killing the two people, and there is that interesting, I guess, transition of shots where the woman falls down and then it goes black, and then we get some kind of music i i think i don't think i was paying as, as attention to that uh as much as i should have been but that was one thing that i noticed uh does that factor into your discussion
3: that's one of the things that i have yes uh <laughs> good 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 catch there because that that scene stood out because it was a commercial break you know they I, we were expecting her to be killed before you know before it broke for commercial or to come back and she was already dead not to come back with her in the snow and you know start the scene the next scene in that same way, uh, I, I, you know, I, I'm just going to plead Ebert fest here. I'm going on almost no sleep. I did not have the time to research that the way I would like, but I want to say it's like a bossa nova. It's certainly a dance rhythm um, and uh, much more in fitting with where that couple presumably came from the party they came from than the situation she's in now. But I really like that in uh, that, that very friendly, really light music, you know, which then of course, very quickly goes away and dies away to be replaced by the, the orchestration the standard orchestration for the show. The classical piece, the only one that is used specifically in this episode, is at the end of the episode, which is Fore's Requiem. Again, as people will remember, last week we got the In Paradisum from Fore's Requiem. This week we get the Kyrie, which is part of the first movement of the Requiem. And uh, just as last week, the In Paradisum, may angels guide you or lead you to paradise. This week we get the Requiem, Aeternam, Eternal Rest. Uh, and of course, any anybody who was uh, raised on Sunday school knows the Kyrie, which is "Kyrie eleison, Christe eleison, Kyrie eleison." Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. And so to have that at the end, it was such a, such an interesting element to that to that scene, and also just the fact that the Requiem starts with this. This is the beginning of the journey. So last week we had you know Hannibal guiding Will or Will guiding Hannibal, depending on how you read that scene. And now we have the journey starting again, potentially in this in this moment. Uh, it's a gorgeous piece for Requiem. I will be interested to see if it continues to be used, if the several movements of the piece continue to be used, or if this was a specific reference to last week and that we don't get more of the for Requiem, sort of detailing the progression of that re- relationship over the course of the season. Other uh, score notes for this week. I really appreciated the percussion. Instrumentation when our victim is going to his truck, there's a shift from um, timpani and and more uh, wood sounding instruments, or or uh, just uh, there's a shift to metallic. Sounding percussion there's a whirring that matches the the truck as it's starting up and then of course when you're first watching that you assume that it's tying in to the truck when in fact it's just as likely that it's tying into the suit that our killer is wearing so that's a, f- a fun uh, element there uh when we cut to the crime scene the percussion gets very tinkly and crystal like um the freezing blood or the blood you know crystallizing on the on the snow as it lands on the snow ties in very much with that. For me, also, uh, there's a lot of bowed techniques this week with the the violin or bass or cello bow being used on cymbals and other percussion instruments, but as well as on the advanced technique techniques on string instruments. And we, we hear that in the end, the final moments of the trucker's life. We hear that uh, several times throughout the episode. Uh, we also get a much more dramatic uh, string cue. I think it was string. It may have been percussion. Um, when Will's doing his... Um, metronome swipe, uh lightsaber thing. <laughs> the, the, by far the most dramatic musical key for that. As well as I think that was a tuba in there. And so that that was a very dramatic shift as far as I could hear. A nice little bit of snare in there, which I am not used to. And then there's a consistent, very patient rhythmic pattern in the in the scoring this week. There's a lot of just, just steady eighth notes. Um very light and very steady, I want to say like a wood block kind of sound in much of the episode it it, it gives it um, a continuing story it just it just hannibal's being very patient in his crafting of will and uh, and that's for me that's shown in the in the scoring throughout the episode and uh, just the constant sound underneath very you know driving but uh, but very patient at the same time
0: even with the lack of sleep, Case Classical Corner continues to be ridiculously detailed. So, and,
4: and by the way, that was amazingly detailed, and I'm impressed. But I have—I just wanted to interject one quick thing, which is I had lunch with my 80-year-old father yesterday, and we ended up talking about Hannibal, which uh, he's a big fan of. And he said, "You know what makes that show work?" And I said, "No." He goes, "The music." And he—he—he uh, he, he was talking about how the music is so important to that show. And I don't consider myself great on music analysis, and. I couldn't say any of the stuff you just said, Kate, uh, but uh, I think my dad would very much appreciate everything you're talking about.
3: (laughs) Well, it's wonderful (laughs) to be able to kind of meld my two worlds. Most shows don't allow for that, just the realities of scoring for a TV show. It's just, it's really fast. A lot of shows don't have the kind of nuance that this one does. So I enjoy geeking out on it and overanalyzing and reading way too much in to, hey, I think this sounds cool if you put the bow on this part of the string and use it at this speed and all of that so i'm glad it seems like some people enjoy it and uh, i'm glad that they do because it lets me just ramble ramble <laughs> about music
0: <laughs> you enjoy geeking out i enjoy kicking back and listening and saying wow so <laughs> lord have mercy let's move on to uh the second over recurring pot uh recurring segments the devil in the details and i'll kick it off and, and again to remind listeners this is just a part where we talk about some of the the more uh, detail-oriented things in the episode, be they visual or otherwise, just little things that, that stand out that aren't necessarily important but that we took away from the episode. Uh, the one thing I'll mention is because I'm a whiskey drinker, I'm always really tuned in to whenever a bottle is on screen, and I really want to know what people are drinking. And Justified's is really good about doing this, so we almost always like know exactly what they're drinking either because they order it where we see the label on the bottle, and I was really frustrated in that Margot and Wilson to not see what exactly he was pouring. It looked like a Lafroy but I couldn't be be certain. So that was a d- detail that stood out to me. Uh, Eric, what what little things came across for you?
4: Hannibal's giant hat, snow hat. <laughs>
0: <laughs> was Somebody was going to mention it. Absolutely.
4: Absolutely, that was that was like number one on my uh, list of things to mention. No, it is funny because. Uh, yeah, I, I and I already had made this joke uh, both on Twitter and in uh, my review, but I'll still make the joke about the fact that uh, at this point, they there seems to be a giant hat motif because uh, Freddie had her hat in a courtroom scene, which I found actually very distracting, uh, although it did give her cool shadowing on her face. Uh, but now we've got Hannibal's uh, big giant Russian style uh, snow cap, and I feel like if everything comes in threes, we need a third giant hat this season to. Uh, to give us a trifecta. But, you know, I did enjoy, you know, again, going back to how we were talking about the show, uh, story-wise is bigger than life, uh, once in a while. And, you know, the visuals are already bigger than life as far as the kills are concerned and the murder scenes. So, I, you know, uh, yeah, it might've bugged me a little bit in that courtroom scene, but I don't mind if once in a while they have something that's kind of sort of big like that. It, It reminds me of, you know, things that Brian Fuller would do more overtly on, uh, his series, like like pushing daisies, where it might have allowed for it on a more constant basis. So uh, Hannibal having such a noteworthy uh, hat on this episode uh, amused me uh, in a in a good way. Uh, so that that's that's my little slash uh, huge detail.
0: More reasons for Tom and Lorenzo to do this show. Kate, what stood out to you in this episode?
3: Well, one of the first things I wrote down in my notes is um, the tree has an eye in that opening scene. Did anybody else notice that?
0: I did not. No. There's you're talking gi- about the, the
3: dream sequence right the dream sequence there's this giant knot that at least to me looks very much like an eye up to the above hannibal and i want to say slightly to the right uh so that was just very striking and, and it was a, a pale tree so so you know this notion of if you want to tie it in with the examination of of animal versus human nature and uh and again just Nature watching and judging Hannibal, the patronus sag thing being used to being sort of uh, perverted into violence into all this. And so nature, the notion that the tree is watching uh, will make this decision and perhaps judging, depending on how you feel about these things uh, that I thought that was interesting. Um, and let's see what else. We, I I really like that in the background of the Jack and Hannibal scene at the morgue, there are actually people working, and they're actually working on a body. That you never see that, and so I really appreciated that. Uh, Margot last week was wearing this really striking black copa with a bright red or dark red, I should say, a sort of blood red shirt that matched very much the that wall in Hannibal's office. This week, she's in a far more detailed um silver kind of shirt with a high collar it's, it's it's a very different look than last week when she was so much more passionate this week she's she's more detached and she's not sure how she feels about about hannibal and so she's in a neutral instead of in that bold color and so I thought that was interesting um let's see the and then at will she's wearing a black and w- shirt with white stripes when she's trying to decide how she feels about hannibal it made me think of a ref. Uh, so I, I enjoy overanalyzing the clothes, and I blame Tom and Lorenzo, like you said, <laughs> uh, Sean. Uh, Jeremy Davies, uh, his the jumpsuit is is like this really sweet, um, non-threatening butter yellow, which I really uh, appreciated. And then the last thing I have here is that um, Will is growing out his scruff again. He's he was all clean shaven a couple weeks back, ready for his first session with Hannibal, and now he's growing the scruff back out. You know the hair looks is is still different, but his his. Uh, five o'clock shadow or whatever you want to call it looks much more akin to where he was at the start of the show um and and i think that it's interesting to see randall's look it's more like what will look like when he started to come back to therapy than how he looks now or how he looked at the beginning of the season so there's sort of like a in my mind there's like a progression of facial hair and and uh and uh just uh styling hair styling for the various uh will looks and then this week where where randall ties into that i think is interesting so these are the the, the details i was enjoying over analyzing at about three in the morning when i was watching this episode
4: <laughs> by the way you mentioning uh that opening with the tree you know uh i feel like we should note that uh this episode you know had a pretty overt uh, and i have to give credit where it's due to matt fowler from IGN for pointing this out to me but uh, that the opening was such an overt uh, reference to Hannibal Rising and a murder that occur- that occurs in that book and film as for- involving a tree, uh, although it's Hannibal who's doing the killing in that story. So once again, we have uh, Brian Fuller you know, wanting to kind of uh, do a lot of nods to all of the Hannibal Lecter history in that way. Um, and I don't know, I meant to, I wanted to mention this earlier because I mentioned Silent Slams at the very top, but I thought it was interesting, the whole idea of... Um, Randall wanting to sort of be something that he's not because we know that the only characters they can't use on the show are the science lambs characters. And that doesn't just involve Clarice that involves uh, Buffalo bill, Jame gum. So I almost felt like, um, maybe Randall was in some ways an echo of Jame gum, uh, who also didn't want to be himself and was, you know, basically Hannibal said, uh, not, not a true trans transgender because he didn't really care about, You know, he didn't feel he should be a woman as much as he just didn't want to be himself because he hated himself. But I felt like there was maybe some echoes there, especially knowing they can't use that character and that he that he wants to use that character if he could uh, in Randall wanting to become a different person, which obviously also had sort of more thematic ideas as far as other characters, perhaps transforming. So uh, I I enjoyed uh, the one overt reference to another Hannibal story and one potential one this week.
0: Am I right in thinking the the quote that Hannibal mentions about the the facade falling on a group of women in Italy does that come from Red Dragon? I I watched Manhunter again a few weeks ago, but I've seen it, so many episodes of television since then that it's now out of my memory once again. But I think that that was a quote that came from Red Dragon. So oh, it seems. Wh-
4: wh- which was the quote again?
0: It was about uh, Hannibal mentions he's talking about his interest in art, and there was I think a facade that had fallen on a group of grandmothers in italy i believe mm-hmm. and, and i believe that that's something that the hannibal character in red dragon says um i could be wrong i don't know okay. but i'm actually of- i'm
4: actually reading that book right now i'm uh as part of my immersing myself in everything hannibal i'm uh i haven't read most of those books so i'm it's my first time reading through red dragon at the moment so if i get to that part i will let you know
0: i am actually rereading it as well kate you need to get on board, I think.
3: <laughs> Maybe this summer while I'm catching up with adventure time. I can like have one as the, a palate cleanser to the other.
0: Uh, a couple other details I wanted to, to mention. Kate, you mentioned the the scene in, with Jack and Hannibal and how you were glad to see people working on the body. I wanted to say uh, of, about that scene as well. As soon as Hannibal and Jack walk out and Hannibal is talking to, to Jack about Randall and how he potentially might be the suspect here, we can see Jimmy in the background kind of peering over and listening in, trying to get all of the gossip. And I thought that that was good because I love whenever either of those two have something entertaining to do. Uh, I also wanted to bring up the, the close-ups in, in this episode. I forgot to mention at, at the top of the podcast that this was uh, directed by Michael Reimer again, and he does a lot of close-ups in the the therapy session between Will and Hannibal. Um, I'm I'm not quite sure what that meant, but uh, but Mario actually asked about this on Twitter and I thought that they were effective in terms of communicating the intensity there but otherwise I'm not really sure how they contributed because I don't know a lot of that technical stuff but that was an interesting detail. One other thing was the the line deliveries between uh, Hugh Dancy and and Mass Mickelson in their session where uh, Will's talking about Bedelia and he he says that she was somebody who believed him, and Hannibal says fascinating, and and will just straight straight up ask him, did you kill her? And and just Mas delivery of no was just fantastic. I thought <laughs> because there was that kind of tinge of disappointment that that one uh, she had talked to him about this and had admitted that there was something up with Hannibal, and also that he's probably still a bit disappointed that he didn't get to kill her. So that was entertaining in a weird way uh eric were there any other things that you wanted to mention
4: uh no uh,
0: I, i'll probably think of something
4: right afterwards
0: but at the moment no that's what usually happens okay yeah so, i always do
2: too
0: <laughs> uh were there any other things in general related to this episode she's that that either of you wanted to mention um we haven't really talked that much about the the stag that's used in this uh just in terms of how uh peter says that that man is the only creature that kills to kill. And we see Will Stagg kill two people in in this episode. I don't know if there's a discussion there or if we want to just conclude it.
4: I'll just say that the one thing I, I, I'm just glad to see Peter again, Jeremy Davies, uh, because that could have been a one-off character. Uh, And we were talking about Hannibal, I mean, sorry, Will uh, sort of needing more confidence. And uh, Margot is kind of giving him a more direct one as far as discussing Hannibal But it is sort of good to see him connecting with Peter, who is, uh, you know, they're both damaged characters, but Peter much more overtly. Uh, And I was just glad to see that Will hadn't sort of, you know, discarded uh, Peter and the show hadn't either, because some TV shows would. Uh, You know, he was essentially a red herring last week and that could have been it for him. Uh, But the fact that he's, you know, at least for now sticking around uh, is nice to see. And I I think it's kind of a nice aspect of Will's character that he would continue to go see him, even if it's, you know, obviously Will, you know, might be getting something out of it, too. Uh, But I think, uh, you know, hey, more more weird Jeremy Davies on my TV, the better.
3: It let's will be nurturing. And yeah. as they continue to explore this darker side or, or how far he's willing to go, if you think this is on an act, which, you know, I would argue for that, uh, in, in his attempt to use himself as bait to catch Hannibal, it's important to see positive the interactions with, with people who aren't just his dogs. Yes. Um, the only other thing I have is uh, that we mentioned, we didn't talk about the title of the episode. The, this course in the Kaiseki progression is uh, just something substantive. And so to contrast that with last week where it was the palate cleanser, I thought that was an interesting one, too, and probably very intentional from Brian Fuller uh, going from the, our palate cleanser last week to the, the uh, a weighty dish this week.
0: Perfect. And we'll conclude the discussion there. Kate and I will be back next week to talk about episode 10, Nakachoko. Uh, once again, thank you, Eric, for coming on to the podcast. Where can the listeners find you and your work online?
4: Uh, You can find me at IGN.com slash TV and on Twitter at at Eric IGN. That's Eric with a C. And, uh, yeah, thanks so much for having me on, guys. Uh, Love Hannibal. Love talking about it. So this was great.
0: We also love geeking out on it. It's a lot of fun. Kate, where can our listeners find you?
3: You can find my uh, reviews at Sound On Sight, and starting this week, you can find my reviews of Veep up at the AV Club. I'm starting up there this week, and I'll be reviewing the rest of the season, so uh, you can check that out. Also, you can find uh, podcasts, uh, the Sound On Sight Game of Thrones podcast will be going out on Tuesday mornings, I believe. And and, uh, all I'll say is any fans of this who want to hear more TV discussion should tune in this week on the Televerse for a very special announcements um that's the weekly tv podcast over at sound and site that covers everything else that is not hannibal or game of thrones uh yeah that's what that's where i'll leave it and of course I, on twitter at the televerse i love talking about the stuff with you guys so drop me a line there
0: you cannot find my work at the AV Club, although I might be posting comments on Kate's reviews just to be annoying. <laughs> uh, you can find my weekly Hannibal reviews at TVOverMind.com. Otherwise, my weekly reviews for other series, including uh, What The Americans, Vikings, Elementary, etc., will be on TVOverMind or Sound on site, of course. Uh, and my blog is ThereIsNothingOn.com. But that's it for this week. Thank you, listeners, again, for tuning in. This has been another episode of This Is Our Design.